Hi, I'm Jessica Lindbergh, and this is the HeartStrong Podcast, where we dive into all the messiness that life has to offer, the joyful, the difficult, and the beautiful. As a woman and mother who's faced tragedy, I want to share stories and perspectives of hope, resilience, and purpose. Join us for a conversation about what truly makes us HeartStrong. Today's podcast is a little different, and I think you're going to love it. I'm sitting down with my dearest childhood friend, Megan Halstead, and she is going to interview me. I didn't do a trailer episode when I started the podcast like most people do, so I thought this would be a fun way for you to learn a little bit more about me and why I started this podcast in the first place. Back to being little and playing dress up, we had all sorts of make pretend games. I can remember... (laughs) We usually played office or travel agency, and you were the boss, always, right? (laughs) I don't don't remember that part, but I guess maybe I was. (laughs) Believe me, everybody, she was the boss. And picking up the phone and giving it to the airlines because they got the reservation wrong and, you know, writing out the notes and the letters and, and keeping us very busy, always keeping us on task. And that's one of the things I just loved about you is you really were purposeful, even in your play. I have known Megan for over 40 years, which I cannot believe that I just said that. Over 40 years, she has been a dearest friend. We grew up across the street from each other. Megan is a former television news anchor and radio host and is currently a financial media host. So she is a complete interview expert, which is why I asked her. Megan lives in Topeka, Kansas with her husband and three kids, and she's joining me today. Megan, thanks for being here. Oh, Jess, this is such an honor. I'm really excited. I know. It's so fun that we get to do this. I actually, before I came down here, I was talking to Eric. He's like, can you believe that you two girls who used to like run across the street between each other's houses are podcasting today? (laughs) Well, that was 40 years ago, 40 plus years ago, as you pointed out. (laughs) I know. It's so crazy. It's so fun. So we grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, like, yes, Cleveland, Ohio, um, on the shores of Lake Erie. And our families live across the street from each other. And so we spent our lives in and out of each other's houses. We went to high school together. um, And we have just been this like intricate part of one another's lives for our entire life. I can't remember not knowing you. So if that gives... (laughs) If that gives our our listeners just some indication of of how far back we go. And, you know, Jess, it has been a journey. It's been such a fun friendship. And I think, you know, there are people who come in and out of your life, right? But Mm -hmm. you've remained. And that's the neat part. Through the miles, you know, across state lines, we've we've remained friends. We've we've kept this friendship. And that's part of the reason I'm so excited to do this podcast with you today, especially to reveal more of who you are to the audience, to our listeners, so they can understand, you know, your roots, where you came from, who you are, what makes you, you. Yeah. And I think, you know, we both have had some real highs in our lives and some real lows. And we've known each other through those times. And that was one of the reasons I wanted you to interview me because, you know, we both know the nitty gritty and life is a full expression of all those things, right? And and here we are today. And I think it's pretty cool. It really is. You're right. You know, like you, I am a mom. I'm very blessed. I'm very privileged to parent three of my children. I have other children who are presently being held in the palm of God's hand. 
Um, and so, yes, I know some of, you know, some of that heartache, some of that grief, some of the, those struggles, and we'll talk about that later today. Um, you know, I think back to, and you were able to tell our audience a bit about what I do. I, I ask questions for a living. I, I do mm-hmm. what we're doing right now. This is what I do most of my day. I'm a curious person, but I was thinking about curiosity, Jessica, and I don't know that I have another friend who is more curious than I am, uh, than you. You really are one of the most curious people I know. You've always been that person who wants to know more, who's asking the questions. Um, Sometimes that curiosity uh, got us into a bit of trouble when we were little girls. (laughs) Yes, yes, it did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you were always just so curious. I think it's one of your greatest strengths. Um, and I just, you know, I want to go back a little bit as I think about us being curious and, and, and asking the questions when, when we were young, Jessica, and we, our parents would get together and, and there'd be a group of parents, you know, having cocktails or a dinner party. You always wanted to be at the adult table. Do you remember <laughs> I this? I did. Yes, I did. I always wanted to be at the adult table. I wanted to know what they were talking about. And you asked good questions and you were always listening. You wanted to know more, uh, you know, back to being little and and playing dress up. And we had all sorts of make pretend games. I can remember <laughs> we usually played office or travel agency and you were the boss always, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that part, but me, I guess maybe you, I was. <laughs> believe me. Everybody, she was the boss. And picking up the phone and giving it to the airlines because they got the reservation wrong. and you know, writing out the notes and the letters and, and keeping us very busy, always keeping us on task. And, and that's one of the things I just, I loved about you is you really were, you know, purposeful, (laughs) even in your play, Uh, you really had a purpose and you were very much a boss. And I love that. I knew that you were going to take the world by the horns and there was going to be no, um, you know, lollygagging about your life. You were really after something big. And I knew that from a very young age, that that's, that's who you were. And I want to talk about that. If you don't mind, Jessica, let's go go back. Um, You know, I think about your passion for business. You had told me once, I want to live in a big city. I want to work in a big office building. I want to do big things. And I knew you would. But take us back to graduating from college and launching out, actually doing those things you had dreamed about. When I think about it, it took a lot of courage, right? It did. You know, it did take courage. But like you said, I always knew those were things that I wanted to do. So as much as they took courage, I think they were just like the next step for me. I moved to Chicago out out of college and I got a job in advertising working for a very large firm that represented major U.S. brands. And it was a lot of fun. You know, I loved living in the city and I had my sights on, you know, running those accounts and and working in brand development for for major brands. That was kind of how I saw myself. That's what I thought I would do. Well, and then life comes, right? Life uh, gives us sometimes a, a left turn, so to speak. Walk us through what happens after you're you're working in the world of advertising and you think, okay, I found my place. Yeah, I thought I found my place. I was actually in graduate school getting my MBA as well at night. Um, Eric and I were newly married. He was a new attorney. And we, I think we're we were very 
driven in our careers and in success. Like we had our sights on what we wanted to accomplish in our lives. And then I got pregnant with Ethan and life completely changed and took me in a different direction. And um, that was a big like bifurcation for me personally, because it took me down a completely different path. I was 29 years old and was pregnant with my first baby and found out that he was going to be born with a very rare congenital heart defect. And that took us to visiting doctors in different parts of the country and to quitting my job and to just living a completely different life than I ever could have imagined. You know, but I think it's also really interesting because as much as at the time I thought it was this big detour, it was also actually kind of rounding me out as a person. So in addition to being someone who is very driven business-wise, you know, for success in that area of my life, when I was in college, I actually went to Mexico with Habitat for Humanity. I went to Honduras after I graduated from college and did some work there. And I even applied to the Peace Corps. So I always had this passion for the vulnerable people in our world and for really, you know, making changes in systems that needed changes to advocate for people. So I, as I look back, which, you know, hindsight is always a gift, really, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, Ethan gave me the opportunity to bring together my passion for people and, you know, my love of business and marketing. If, and now this sounds weird, but they, they kind of came together through him. You know, I think about that saying, man plans and God laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> So true. So true. As you're describing this, I'm thinking to myself, yes, I think we can all relate to what you're saying. You've got this vision, right? My life is going to look like this. I'm going to accomplish these things. It's going to be a straight line. And you've had a lot of zigzags. When you look back and you think, okay, I had this vision for my life. It looks so much different. Walk us through some of that. Living out a life you never saw coming. Yeah. you know. That is something that in the midst of going through that, I will be very honest with you. I I have been at war with my life a lot in those times. I want to be really honest about that. It's only in hindsight that I can see how they fit together. But yeah, Ethan was born, you know, he lived for seven years. And in those seven years, I had to walk away from my work. Um, I spent a lot of time alone. I spent a lot of time in the hospital with him. Um, I spent a lot of time thinking, gosh, I love this kid so much. This is so purposeful. He has awoken a part of me that never would have been awoken had he not been here. And yet, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, what what am I supposed to be doing, you know? And then going on to having three other children um, and my youngest son now having a rare, rare disease, it has been an interesting journey of feeling kind of lonely and uncertain, you know, and kind of like you're in a wilderness, to be honest with you. Um, But I think it's true for a lot of us. Like, I think if you asked most people and said, is your life what you expected it to be? I mean, don't you think most people would probably say no? Right. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Because it's life. (laughs) It throws us curveballs all the time. All the time. And I think when we're young and idealistic, like we don't, really know that that's true. But I think that there's also a lot of gifts in embracing those detours and seeing 
actually how things kind of can fit together, right? Absolutely. You know, when we think about the journey of motherhood, especially if for a young girl, you know, you think about how you're going to be a mom, how many kids you're going to have, what their names are going to be, and you have this idea or ideal in your mind. You never think that your motherhood journey will also, in some respects, be a grief journey. Right. But you've seen those journeys overlap, and you've described some of that with Ethan, with Bodhi. Let's talk about what you have seen be successful for you in managing or even navigating through that grief as a mom. Yeah, you know, I was thinking a lot about that before we got on this call or on this podcast. And, I, you know, I'd love to give people like a five-step process, right? <laughs> right. I don't really think that that's possible. But I, I can think of things that I think were really important to me. And I think I would distill it down to three things. And that would be body, mind, and spirit. And I think when we're going through grief in our life, we have to take care of all three of those. It's not just a a challenge of emotions. It's not just, I mean, because it's also a physical exhaustion. I mean, you know that, Meg, you know, when you're sad, like you just feel like you're carrying around a hundred pound of bricks on your back, you know? Mm -hmm. And and then there's a spiritual component because we're all three of those things as human beings. And so for me, really digging into each one of those has been the way through for me. Um, and I also think it's been finding helpers, you know? I mean, I think I want to be really honest about the fact that we need helpers. We need professionals. Sometimes we need psychologists. Sometimes we need counselors. Sometimes we need marriage counselors. I mean, we need all those things when we're going through grief. And so seeking those people out has been really important to me. I love that, the helpers. And sometimes it's a friend on the other end of the phone and a glass yep. of wine. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, more times than I can count. I think it really, really shows us that we need each other, you know, and that um, we need friends that are willing to go there with us and just be freaking real, you know? Yeah. There's so much of our world that's pretend, but we all, I know I crave realness and the challenges of my life, the hard parts of my life make me want that even more. Yeah. Authenticity. Yeah, I think is something that gets lost so often. It it feel a lot of the world, especially social media, can feel artificial. Totally, and that's what makes you feel alone. Like, wait a minute, my life's not that polished. <laughs> Am right. I on an island here? You know. So, I love what you said. You know, we are human beings, and we do have all these different components. Finding the helpers, you know, managing grief through you know, moving your body, being active, not letting, uh, not letting yourself just sit alone. Also making sure you're taking care of your spiritual, your spiritual side. You know, we talk about grief and motherhood and my husband and I, we lost a, a daughter to Turner syndrome. Um, she was born prematurely and she passed away. And, you know, we, we treated her just like any other baby that you would have lost. We, we buried her. We had a service for her, a memorial service for her. She has a grave site. Mm -hmm. And I remember I had a panic moment in the midst of planning all of that. And I thought, wait a minute, should I be doing this? And mm -hmm. I asked my dad about that. I said, is this, mm -hmm. is this right? I mean, she never came home from the hospital with us. She was never actually part of our family. And, and I remember his advice to me was, 
yes, if this helps you grieve, this is okay. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about grief and how you manage it, I wondered if you could discuss that a bit. Is is doing what you need to do personally to walk yourself through the grief and and try to get through it? Yeah. You know, I think that was one of the reasons that I struggled a little bit to say, you know, there's no five steps because it is personal to each person, you know, doing things that you need to do, you know, like, like I'm a very action oriented person. And so part of what has been really gift gifted for me is running the Ethan Lindbergh foundation is doing that work is helping other people has helped me through this process. That's not right for everyone. You know, everyone doesn't need that. Um, but I think it's being very honest with what you need to do in doing that work. I think grief has a lot of energy in it. A lot of energy is wound up in our bodies, minds, and spirits, and that has to get up and out. So exercise is one of those ways, but action steps, like what the steps that you took for Caitlin to bury her and to create that space for her, that was an action that you needed to take. And I think instead of hiding, you know, those things or burying that in our hearts, doing that work is so powerful as part of a healing journey. You mentioned that we're made up of many different aspects, right, as a human being. And I know faith, spiritual, that part of us is so important in this grief journey. And you've been very open about your struggle with faith, especially through the grief the experiences you've had with your children and motherhood. I know you're not the only one to struggle with with faith in this respect. Tell me about that and, and what that's been like for you over the years. Yeah, you know, this has probably been one of the biggest components of my journey and something that I always want to be really honest about, because like you said, many people struggle with this. Um, you know, I grew up like you did in a family, faith-filled family, you know, where we went to church and prayer was important and growing in your faith with God was important. And I I think for me, up until the point of of Ethan, I kind of saw God as this like transactional experience. You know, if I'm really honest, like I, I'm a good person, I'm serving God, I'm doing these things, things are going to work out okay for me. Like they're going to be okay. Um, and I think after, you know, after Ethan died, I felt entirely abandoned, not only by God, but by people in my journey. I felt, um, like there is no way that something good as a good of a, a God could be good. And all these kids could be sick. Like all these people could go through this grief. I didn't think that there could be a God that you know, I would pray and pray and faithfully care for my son and move my family across the country and mortgage my house and do all the things that we did only to come up short. You know, those were, I mean, in the list, I could go on and on about the list of things that I, and I will tell you, I remember driving in my car one day saying, I don't think God is real. Like, I just don't think I believe in this. And I had a whole host of reasons why I, I didn't think that. But a part of me wanted it to be true. And a part of me wanted that there to still be someone bigger than myself that was sort of, you know, operating in this universe. And it's been this very slow process for me of circling back to that, but it looks completely different. You know, I, if you look at people of faith, if you look at people who you might admire, I mean, I think if they're really honest, they're going to tell you that their faith has grown through 
the hard times. It's grown through the dark places. It's grown through through the challenges. And I think even though I said that on that day, I think I left this little window open. And it was, I mean, honestly, Meg, years of me like just I remember the first time I set foot in a church, I was like, ooh, I don't know if I want to be here, you know? And I just think that in some ways, I guess I could say that God was patient with me. And now I feel like my relationship with God, with Jesus, is just part of who I am. It's not this transactional thing. It's seeing the presence of God in the difficult spaces. You know, I think a lot of Mother Teresa, because I have one of her quotes that hangs in my house, and she saw the the horrible parts of life, and yet she somehow found God there. And I used to think to myself, if she could do that, I could do that too. I'm so glad you shared that and very, very honest and appreciate that because I think you're giving words to what is probably rattling around in a lot of people's minds and in their hearts. And there's perhaps some fear to even express that, Mm -hmm. Uh, perhaps struggling with faith, maybe anger at God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I've sensed that too in myself over the years and, and some of the struggles we've had as a family and, and as parents. And there is some wondering, you know, mm-hmm. how could a good and loving God allow all of this? Um, for me, I know that one of the things, and you touched on this, is that, you know, sometimes darkness, tragedy, hurt, grief, it actually, oddly enough, allows your heart to expand. Yes, it does. Which is a shock sometimes mm-hmm. to come out on the other side and, and discover. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know for me, in, in knowing that I have a child um, with the Lord right now, it has given for me a very eternal perspective yes. of life, of of everything, yes. that I will know her, I will mm-hmm. know her, that this is not the end. For me, that's that gives me a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. And a lot of reason to live, yeah. right? Um, because it's not the end. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know that I would have that if I didn't go through the dark times and go through the hard times. Right. I think I love what you just said about that eternal perspective. I think that's really where I've evened out to, if you will, where I've come to is that, you know, I see life from this like 30,000 foot view. You know, I'm less in the details I think anymore. And I'm more, I'm really at this place where I'm like, I'm a vessel. God, you created me for a purpose. You made me who I am and with the interests that I have. And it's not a mistake that I had Ethan who died or Bodhi who has a rare disease or these other kids that I have or, you know, whatever. It's like none of these things are really a surprise to God. He created you and I with these unique gifts. And so I just want to be a vessel for whatever it is that I'm here to do. And I think it often includes those difficult challenges. And but it's that eternal perspective. It's seeing life from a bigger view than just what's in front of us. That I think that's how I operate on a daily basis. That's how I navigate my life 100% of the time. You know, I recently heard someone describe God and us as God being the master potter. And I think we've heard, you know, many people have heard that within the world of Christianity, but that we are the yielded clay. Mm. And when you're talking about being a vessel, that, hey, I'm this lump of clay over here. And if you want to form me into the most beautiful work of art, I'm yours. Yeah, Use me, whatever that is. And there is a surrender that happens 
because, you know, going back earlier in our discussion, when we have this vision of our life, we're in control. There is a surrender that happens that can be really scary at first. Of course, it's terrifying. And I think that we, you know, I know for so long I was really at war with my life and I was almost like white knuckling everything, like holding so tight. And I did that a lot with Ethan. I wanted him here. I didn't want to let go of him. You know, I was going to do anything that was humanly possible. Um, I mean, if I could have gotten in that operating room and done it myself, I would have done it. You know, that was my (laughs) attitude. But I do agree with you. I think it's the loosening of the hands. It's the surrender, which is incredible. I mean, I think I have to re-surrender surrender to my life all the time. I mean, don't mm-hmm. you think it's a continuous process yes. of opening our hands and saying, okay, I'm going to give, I'm going to open my hands and say whatever is and in and, and letting ourselves be morphed, informed. And, you know, I love this part of our discussion, Meg, because like, even the people when people talk about faith on Instagram with these little quotes and all the stuff, I'm always like half rolling my eyes because I'm like, like that's cute and all and it sounds great, but it's not really where it's at, you know? And so I think these discussions about this nuance of life is really like I want to shout that from the rooftops because that's the truth of the matter, right? It's 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 fear and then it's opening our hands. It's hoping and then it's readjusting. It's it's, you know, saying I believe and then asking if I really do. I mean, that's okay. You know, that's what makes us who we are. That that's that's what makes us human. Jesus, take the wheel. That's right. <laughs> Just take it. That and a glass of wine with my kids all home from school. Oh, yeah. So, yeah let's just throw that in to spice yeah. up life, right? That's you know, right. I hope you won't mind if I share a little bit about just some of the things I know about you that oh, maybe yeah. Go for people it. wouldn't know. One of my great memories of being Jessica's friend is being able to play sports with her. And Jessica and I played on our high school volleyball team, and she was just a tenacious, fierce competitor. She's one of the most competitive people I know. (laughs) And uh, for those of you who know the game of volleyball, you know the setter is everywhere, right? And Jessica was our setter, and she was fantastic, super scrappy. I mean, just like all over. You couldn't even believe it. Like you turn around and she was she was over there and then she was over here and she was digging for balls and, um, you know, just a hard worker, right? Competitive, a hard worker. And then just like on the other side of that, she'd say, Hey, let's go shopping. And (laughs) you love to shop. You love clothes. You love fashion. Uh, you're always helping me stay on trend. Um, and be really swaggy, as my 14-year-old daughter would say now. <laughs> I love really, that. That's, that's the word thing, now. Okay. Right? <laughs> I did not know that. Now I know. Now you know. Now you can be a cool kid, right? Uh, but you have so many different interests. You know, thinking back, you do love competition. You love sports. You love playing sports, watching sports. You love um, anything to do with fashion and clothes and home decor. You You are really gifted in that area of design and making spaces feel homey and welcoming. Uh, You love to cook. I mean, you are really multifaceted. And I want to talk about some of those interests, some of those things that you're passionate about, because we are all multifaceted people. And talk about how you don't let those things go to sleep, right? That you keep some of that going. Yeah. I 
That's so funny that you talked about volleyball. I mean, that was such a fun time in our life. And we had such a good team too, which made it even, and we worked hard. We had a crazy coach that (laughs) ran us into the ground. Um, He did. (laughs) I remember when we did two a days, just as an aside, and then we'd try to like, we had to like literally go on our butts down the steps because our legs were so sore because we ran so many stairs. <laughs> we would take power naps in between those practices. That's I remember. Right. I remember doing that too. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. You know, Mike, I think it's really important to be a full expression of who we are. I see a lot of women who are like, I'm a heart mom. I'm a special needs mom. I'm a, you know, or I'm a designer or, you know, I'm a, I'm a this. And we, like our world, our social media world especially loves to pigeonhole people into one thing. And I think that's, frankly, I've struggled a lot with social media because I just don't ever want to be one thing. That's just not what I'm interested in. And so I have, like you said, a lot of interest, but those have kept me afloat. So, you know, when I've felt really down and things have been really difficult through different seasons. Like I'll kind of gravitate towards a creative project or, um, you know, I, I mean, my husband always jokes with me. He's like, if you could redo our home every six months, you would. And it's true. You know, like I'm always like, what if we did this? What if we did that? You know, it drives him crazy. But um, yeah, you know, I have always kept those interests, not always been able to pursue them in the way that I've wanted, but noticed and know how important it is for us to be all the different things that we are. And there have been seasons when I like haven't, you know, like you're just kind of in a in a frumpy time and you're like, oh my God, I've been wearing the same thing forever. And I'm like, no, I, I gotta like snap out of that because I know how important it is to to be an expression of myself in terms of the clothes that I'm wearing or the things that I'm doing. Now, you know, the things that I want to buy and the things that I can buy are often very different. But I think we all experience that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's really important, Megan. I really want to encourage more women to be a more of a full expression of who they are and be like, yeah, I can be a mom whose kid has died and I can talk about grief, but I could also talk to you about like building a cool house for the next two hours too. Like I'm that too. And I I don't want to be pigeonholed. You know, I think that's actually been a fear of mine in my life, if I'm really honest, is being pigeonholed into one thing. And at times, because I don't want to be pigeonholed, it kind of almost makes me freeze. And I've really been lately trying to work on doing this podcast was one of those reasons to kind of just to show a little bit more of who I am and to be a more of a wider expression of myself. Don't let those those areas that bring you life, don't let them die. It's right. it's okay. And I'm glad you're encouraging women because I think women in particular almost need uh, a permission slip to do that. I think about our husbands, the men in our life, it's so easy for them to just say, hey, I'm going to go do a fantasy football league or the guys and I are going to go golfing or whatever it is. It seems very easy in, in many respects for guys to follow their passions and their interests. And women, maybe we're a little harder on ourselves in some of that. Um, but yes, the things that bring you life and joy, those are the things you can't put on the back burner. It's okay to pursue them, right? Yes. And it's okay to focus on them. You know, I saw this quote, it was yesterday, I think it was on Instagram, but it was just talking about just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to keep doing it. And I love that because I'm like, you know, you can be good at a lot of things that don't bring you life or don't bring you joy. And I, for me, especially this year of 2020, where it's been like crazy town, especially as a working mom, 
you know, you learn, like I've really paid attention to these are the things that give me joy and bring me life. So I want to do more of those things because I think when we're doing more of the things that we love and that we're good at, like we're going to be more successful. We're going to be happier. It's just the place to operate out of. But for some reason, you're right. Like women need permission to do that. Mm -hmm. We got got to change that. (laughs) Hey, we're giving you permission today. Okay. Yeah. You've got permission. Do Do what you love. (laughs) One of the things you and I both love, I bet a lot of people listening today feel the same. We both love to rehab furniture. Um, And I know that may be a little odd for some people, but I think, you you know, if you've done that before, if you've taken a piece that maybe has been in your family or you found on the side of the road and you bring it back to life with, you know, sanding or a fresh coat of paint or whatever, and you put it in your house and you, every time you walk by it, you go, oh, yeah. You know, I know for me, that brings me joy. I can't yeah. always do it. I don't always have the time. When I do, I love it, right? It's yeah. it's just one of those great things. It is. You know, I did that, a good bit of that after Ethan died. I actually like, it was so therapeutic for me to sand the furniture and to paint it. And I don't know, it was something that I did. I, I think I have four pieces in my house. There are larger pieces that I did during that time. And yeah, it's fun to transform something. I love to take something that... Most people would say, ah, just, you know, throw that away and make it into something really cool. Yeah. And there's something really satisfying about taking something that just like was on the side of the road and probably should have stayed on the side of the road right. and, and accomplishing it really, you know, transforming it. It's so satisfying to do that. It's kind of like when your, your kitchen's a mess and then you clean it up and you can sit back and say, all right. I love that. My life is somewhat in order. Yes. <laughs> the next 30 same, seconds. Same. <laughs> I want to talk about, Jessica, some of the things you're really proud of because I know people who have followed your journey, they look and they say, wow, this is a woman who didn't settle. She she did, like I said earlier, she took the world by the horns. And you've accomplished quite a bit um, personally, professionally. I want you to tell us what you're most proud of. What brings you joy when you look back and think about the hard work you've put in? You know, Meg, I have to be honest with you. I struggle with this to to look back. I'm always, I always have things that I feel are unfinished, you know, or things that I want to do. And so, but I've really been trying to take a moment, especially this year and being like, okay, this is how far we've come. We've gotten to this point or I've gotten to this point. So, um, I will be honest, this is a harder thing for me to identify, but I will say I'm proud of myself for being the person that I am. You know, there's a very fine line in life between being, you know, vertical and being somebody who's full of joy and wants to take life by the horns and being in a fetal position in the corner. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's, if we're really honest, like, you know, there are there are times, especially in the early days where I'm like, you know, drinking a bottle of wine at noon sounds way better than like personal growth at this point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. That's the truth. You know, so I'm proud of those choices that I've made. I'm proud of Eric and I that we have made those choices together. I'm really proud of the Ethan Lindbergh Foundation. You know, we started that um, out of a lot of love for the families in the congenital heart community. To be honest with you, it wasn't about Ethan. And that might sound really strange to people. I even We even considered not calling it the Ethan Lindbergh Foundation when we first started working on it because we wanted it to be about coming alongside families. And that's 
because we loved these families so much, the families that we had met. They were our community, our people. And I wanted to honor Ethan's life, of course, but that was really the impetus for it. And so we took an idea and um, it is someday I will be able to tell the full story of the Ethan Lindbergh Foundation. But for now, it was really about love, forgiveness, acceptance, and a combined mission that people had together. And that's really how we brought it to life. So I'm proud of that. Um, I've learned so much doing that. Let's do a day in the life of Jessica Lindbergh. Oh, okay. God. <laughs> <laughs> well, you run a foundation, right? So you're working from home. You're a mom. You've got three boys. You have a son who has special needs. You are his advocate. I know that you want to stay true to who you are and pursue personal goals. How do you do this? What does a day look like for you? I mean, the truth is, is that every day is different, but I, I, what has worked for me is I have to be very intentional. You know, we don't accomplish things in life by um, just haphazarding it. You have to be intentional about the things that you want to do. So for me, it looks like being up before my family most days. It looks like a lot of, I, I'm a big note taker. I write a lot of things down. I plan my week out every week or most weeks. Um it's I work through a lot of things like in my mind when I'm making lunches for my kids or when I'm working out. Like I'm I'm always very intentional with my time. So it's I'm up before my family and I'm honest with my kids. I'm like, mom's gotta work. Mom's got something to do. You know, I, I used to struggle with that a little bit because I don't ever want them to feel that I'm not focused on them. But I also think it's good for all kids to see that their moms have something that, that's important to them to do too. And they are involved in the work that I do too. So I get my kids organized, um, and then I start working. I'm very flexible because I can be around when they need me, but most nights I'm spending in my basement. So my basement is my office, and it's the four heart shop, and I'm working down there. And a lot of weekends I wake up early before my family gets up, and I'm working then. So um, it's a privilege and an honor to be able to work you know, remotely and flexibly, but it takes a lot of focus. and. I, I'm not a big TV watcher. Um, I, I'm, I'm a person with a purpose, and it energizes me too. So it's not something that, um, you know, feels like a chore most of the time. Some things do, but it's really being purposeful in how I spend my time. Being present, being purposeful. Sometimes that's the biggest battle I think yes. most moms have, oh especially. Working moms, right? It's it's yeah, hard to hard. to make sure you're you're giving of yourself, but also giving yourself what you need as well. Yeah. That can be hard. One of the things I want to talk to you about because I know this will get attention the attention of a lot of people. You run this organization alongside your husband, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, my husband and I sometimes struggle to fold the laundry together. So- <laughs> <laughs> we do too. We do too. <laughs> so. Tell me about this. How do you do that? How do you then separate that out to, you know, keep your marriage separate and alive and exciting and all the things you hope for and also maintain the household? Yeah, you know, um, I will say, you know, there's there's pluses and minuses to everything that people do, right? There's pros and cons. And I think one of the challenges of the foundation has been that it permeates every part of our home physically with things in it and then of our time. It takes a lot of our time. And we've had to really consciously say, okay, now we're going to have a meeting about the foundation, you know, and then we're not going to talk about it, you know, after a certain time. But, you know, Eric and I, I mean, we really worked 
really together on the initial part of it. I run it mostly day to day, but he's equally as passionate and equally as involved. But we kind of complement one another. Eric's a corporate lawyer, so we probably have one of the best organized small to medium-sized nonprofits in the country because that's he organizes businesses for a living. So, you know, he has really helped me think in a way. I'm very entrepreneurial and creative. And so we really balance each other out. And I think that's one of the ways that we've been able to be successful at doing it. Um, I'll have an idea and he'll be like, uh, I don't know about that. Or, you know, he asks really good questions. So I think it's a passion of ours. He's equally as passionate about the things that I do, even though people don't see him out in the forefront. Um, he's passionate about families. He's passionate about kids with disabilities. He's passionate about helping vulnerable people. And so um, he's kind of like my ace in my pocket most of the times, to be honest, too. You know, he he helps keep things going. But I think for us, it's really become one thing we've learned in our journey is that a life of purpose matters to us. And so it's not as much of a job. It's about a calling. And so when you're kind of doing your calling, it's just kind of part of your life. And that's just kind of how we operate. Jess, as you know, I think, you know, so many people know life has a way of teaching us some lessons, presenting lessons, whether we learn from them or not. Yes. <laughs> what are some of the lessons maybe you've learned, you've been presented with, you know, not maybe not failures, but maybe things that you just didn't know. Yeah. I mean, I, this, you know, doing the, uh, doing the foundation and the things that I've done have been a huge lesson in many ways for me. And I would say that there's a handful of things, maybe four things that I've really learned. And one is just to take the next step. You know, I think a lot of times we want to know how it's going to go, right? We want to say, well, in five years, I'm going to have this size of an organization or I'm going to be doing this. I don't have a five-year plan anymore. I don't really believe in them. I I'm really have learned to take the next step. So it's taking one step and then the next step. I don't get too far ahead of myself anymore. I operate a lot on my intuition, Meg. I It goes back to sort of that spiritual component that's really important to me. I spend... Um, a good bit of time if I can in silence and listening. And then I just kind of go with what I feel like God, the Holy Spirit, my intuition is telling me to do. And most of the time, I'd say 99% of the time, those are the right things to do. So I've learned to operate from that place. I've had to learn to say no. Um, I'm emerging in that skill. I think as an organization grows, as you do more, take on more, you just can't please everybody. You just can't include everybody in it. And it sounds, you know, this is, I've, I have these two parts of myself. One is the mom hat of being the mom and being the person who's gone through all of these things in my life. But I can also easily put on my like CEO, elect, executive director hat and make a different decision. And this year, especially I've had to put on that CEO type hat and make decisions that I wouldn't make as the mom necessarily. Um, I've learned to do that. And then I've also learned like, it's okay if people say no to you, you know, whatever it is. Like, it's okay if people say, no, I'm not interested in donating or I'm going to do something else or I don't want to be part of what you're inviting me to do. And I used to feel like so rejected by that personally. But now I, going back to that like 30,000 foot view of life, I'm like, okay, they're just not the people I'm meant to work with right now. And another door will open and I can release those things. Or, you know, even in the heart shop, like, 
I've had some duds, you know, I've made some bad design choices and they haven't sold. And instead of being hard on myself now, I'm like, okay, that's just, that just happens. And so just really, I think operating with more open hands, being decisive, but not taking no as like, nothing's ever going to go right, but just be like, well, okay, just got to look for something different. Listen, accept it, release it, give yep. yourself some grace. Yes. Yep. You talked about putting, you know, shifting from your mom hat and then putting on your CEO hat, right? A lot of hats, a lot of women oh, know yeah. what that's all about. Yeah. Um, how do you stay true though to who you are fully as a person, as a woman, as a mom? You know, I think that goes back to, I know that goes back to the, to, to the listening. You know, for me, prayer is a lot about just listening. It's about silence. And, you know, I'm even, we're making some changes even to the foundation coming in 2021 and I'm considering some other things. And the reason why I'm doing those is because like you just said to me, how do you stay true to yourself? And the other thing that I've learned is you got to be willing to make changes. You know, you got to be willing to say, I, that was a season and I'm not there anymore. And if I'm a growing person, a growing woman, then my organization or my projects are going to reflect that. So I think it's just having that compass, that true compass inside of yourself and just following that. You have your pulse, I think, on the mind and the heart of women. You, your life has touched so many other um, women's lives, mo mostly due to grief and your journey. Um, but you've also seen so many women, you know, go to the other side, right? Mm -hmm. Find joy, find life. And I wonder when you see and talk to women, when you hear from them, when you listen to their stories, what's the thing they're craving the most? You know, I think women want to live a life of purpose. They want to be part of something, a community, something bigger than themselves. And I think they just want real, you know, I think that they, and they want permission to do those things. You know, I actually just got an email from a woman who came to one of my mom's retreats recently, and she was telling me about all the things she's done since then and how she's kind of grown into this person career-wise, as a, as, a, as a mother, as a woman, you know, in the last three years. And she found her purpose. She found a community of something that was bigger than herself. And she gave herself permission to do that. And she was honest about the realness of it, the hard places of it. And I think the, that's what women want. And, you know, I, I think it's for me, you know, I've done all of this advocacy work and I think I will always do it, but an emerging interest and passion of mine, it's not emerging, it's always been there, but something I haven't spent a lot of time on is really teaching women how to grow through the challenges of their life and giving them permission to, to become who you're created to be because of the difficulties. And then, um, you know, blossom into that person and to be real about it. Like for you know, to stop this perfection. You know, Meg, I think perfection is just fear. And we live in a kind of a fearful society and everybody wants to portray themselves in a certain way. And I would just want to like reject that fear and say, you don't need to be perfect. You can just be who you are. Hmm, that's good. That authenticity that people are craving. And, and maybe it's, uh, you know, a, a great message today that if you're feeling that fear, not being perfect, 
Put your guard down. Yeah. <laughs> Be more authentic with your circle, your people, people you don't even know. And and then see what that brings back to you. See what that authenticity actually ends up attracting to your life. Yeah. Because here's the deal. If you're honest and authentic in your life, you're not you're giving other pe- people permission to do the same. And when we hold on to that perfection or that fear, we're just manifesting that. And I, I see it in, you know, all the time. I'm gonna go off on a little tangent here on, on Instagram, you know, and Instagram stories and all these women looking at these perfect outfits and these perfect families, you know that they struggle in their marriage. You know that they feel like they're five pounds or 10 pounds or 20 pounds too fat. You know that they don't have the perfect genes all the time. You know that they're they have a great pain in their heart. And I think we need women who are courageously willing to be honest about that. And then also being like, and I love like a Louis Vuitton bag and I really want these sneakers that I can't afford. You know, like, let's just be honest about those things. Let's be all of those things and let's be real about it. You talk about being honest. I think we can all be honest and say that 2020 has been just about the most challenging year any of us have experienced. How are you adapting? Let's talk about changes that maybe you're looking forward to because it has required us to shift, right? What does 2020 mean to you? I mean, I think 2020 has been, first of all, really, really hard. I mean, there have, I actually, (laughs) everybody was like in their rooms and Bodhi was probably screaming on a beanbag in in the living room. And I was like literally sitting on my steps to my downstairs being like, oh my gosh, I do not want to do this another day. You know, I mean, I think that's a little bit of how 2020 feels. But for me, it's been tremendously clarifying because when you don't have as much time and you've got a lot going on, if you what you want to do, what you're called to do, what you're good at becomes super clear. And so I'm really in the process of, of asking myself, how do I do more of those things and shed the things that maybe someone else is really good at doing, you know, or maybe someone else will really enjoy? Because one of my, you know, blessings is all of my interest, but it's also kind of can be a curse. You have to, and so I'm really trying to become tighter and more focused and and shedding. I think I've done i I'm doing a lot of shedding in that in my personal life for sure, but also in my professional life. Like how do we become more focused on being in doing what I'm called to do? Mm-hmm. Less is sometimes much more. hundred <laughs> percent. What are you excited about? For me, when I think about a new year, I get pumped up right? I like to put Christmas away. I like to clean my house. I like to set some goals. When you look ahead, what excites you about a new year? You know, I'm really excited about this podcast, Meg. It's been really fun. And I wanted to do it because I just, I'm curious about people, you know, and I want to know about their stories. And so I'm excited to pursue this podcast and to see, you know, who I can have on as guests and what I can learn about people. And how I can just become connected to new people. So I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about some changes we're making to the foundation. And I've been working on this kind of behind the scenes, this project for Bodhi and his community. It's been a long project and it's not gotten all the places that I wanted to, but it's around gene therapy and some therapeutic um, research for his community. And I'm, I want to pursue that. Like it's been a lot of shut doors, but um I'm hoping that maybe we can make some strides for that community in the next year. Um, but I'm just excited. And I'm also excited to pursue some of this other stuff that I mentioned before around you know, encouraging and teaching women. I think that for me is really 
where I want to go with my personal work. And I'm kind of trying to figure out what that looks like. A lot of optimism. Optimism is contagious, which I love. Um, And that's exciting. I love hearing what your dreams and your goals are, Jessica. And, and, And I know you're doing so many things for so many people. People really get a great benefit from following your life, following your journey. I want to put you on the spot, okay? Go for um, it. If you don't mind, I know you don't mind because you're you. Uh, I have, I'm going to ask you the three S's. Sure. Okay. Your, your favorite song you're listening to right now or a song that you always come back to because of its meaning, because of where it takes you or because of how it makes you feel. Wow. Well, I have to say that I'm a big Matt Kearney fan. I actually used to listen to him while I'd walked back and forth to the hospital from the apartment we lived in in Boston to Ethan's hospital room. And he has this song called Kings and Queens that I really love and is on one of our like playlists. So I, I always feel really happy when I listen to his music. I'm going to download that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks good. for the tip. Okay. Kings and Queens, Matt Kearney. I'm putting Jess on the spot, the three S's. So favorite song. What's your favorite sip or snack right now? (laughs) Oh, it's got to be a good glass of red wine, 100%. That is like, I feel like we have really been making a lot of fires in our fireplace and drinking wine at night. And it's been just such a cozy thing to do during this time. So for sure, red wine. If you're going to be in a quarantine, you may as well have a nice glass of wine. Okay. That's right. And the final S, your favorite form of self-care right now? Well, that's been a little bit of a challenge because like everyone, but I would say for sure it's like alone time, you know, getting up early, having some quiet time and then moving my body. I mean, those are my must haves in my life to feel like a centered human being. Sometimes it's, you know, it's a massage and sometimes it's just going and washing your car, right? I think it's being by yourself for me at this point. Right. <laughs> it's like, I mean, there are times I, I like am in my car and I'm like, I'm just going to sit here for five more minutes before I go in the house. And all the moms said, I hear you. Yes, I do too. I know you all, I know you all are doing it too. You started this podcast, the HeartStrong podcast, Jessica. Tell me what HeartStrong means to you. Yeah, you know, Mike, I wrote Heartstrong on a t-shirt about three years ago for the Four Heart Shop. And when I did it, you know, for me, it's not about congenital heart disease or about the actual heart. It's about what I learned on my journey. It's about what Ethan really taught me to be. And that's to be that proverbial strength, that fire that burns in, I believe, every human. And it's that ability to take difficult things and make beautiful things out of them and to be resilient and to grow. And so being heartstrong to me is all of those things. It's saying that I am not going to just let the story be told by by a sad ending, but that I am going to create something great out of it. I am heartstrong. And so that is the essence of what it means to me and what I want it to mean to everyone else. I want it to be like a battle cry of saying that we can create beautiful things from whatever happens in our life. Well said. And I think the words that you share just right there, that that can resonate for so many people in so many different areas of their life. Jessica, we appreciate what you do. And, and what your life stands for and your courage. You know, I, I, 
seen your courage throughout your life. It's a beautiful thing. It's an inspiring thing. I want to encourage you. Keep doing what you're doing. It's really powerful. Oh, thank you, Meg. And thanks for interviewing me. This was so much fun. You're so talented at what you do. And um, I am also always in awe of you. Whenever I hear you, I'm always like, oh man, that girl is good. (laughs) So thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Oh, it was a pleasure. Absolutely. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes and be sure to subscribe. And do me a favor, share this episode with a friend and give them some inspiration for their week. And a super special thank you to our producer, Allison Cohen, and our sound engineer, Jared McCammon. This is the HeartStrong Podcast. Podcast.